0: Again, let me say how happy I am to see you all this morning, each and every one of you. To those of you who are tuning in remotely, we are so glad that you set aside this time in your busy week to be with us. All that said, I am curious though, why are you here? Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am glad that you are here. If anything, I'm pleasantly surprised to see you here. I know everywhere you turn, it seems as if the world is just going back to the way it used to be from our schools to the workplace to travel, but the church, well, that's another story. Since the pandemic, just over half of mainline Protestants have come back to in-person church. Nearly 20% are are continuing to worship online, while 15% have left the church entirely, which explains the curiosity behind my question. Why are you here? Prior to the pandemic, the Pew Forum asked almost 5,000 Americans why they attend religious services. Unsurprisingly, the number one reason was to become closer to God, but following closely behind were a string of varied responses that basically said the same thing. The majority of us go to church in search of wisdom, answers, guidance, in pursuit of a meaningful life. But as we are all well aware, the church does not have a monopoly on this kind of discourse. Just take a look at any bestseller list and you will see that billions of dollars are spent every year by people just like us in search of a better life. This kind of wisdom, which I will call earthly wisdom, comes with titles like You Can Heal Your Life, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, how to win friends and influence people, trusting yourself. Meanwhile, in church land, we are singing a bit of a different tune. Our brand of wisdom, which I will call sacred wisdom, comes with maxims like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. From the mouth of God comes knowledge and understanding. Humility comes before honor. Blessed are the weak, the merciful, the pure in heart. So which kind of wisdom is better? Which kind of wisdom is worth our time? What's the real difference between earthly wisdom and sacred wisdom? Well, the answer is quite simple. Earthly wisdom is centered on us, the power and potential of the mortal self. While sacred wisdom is centered on God, the power and goodness of our immortal creator. Now, just because sacred wisdom comes from above does not mean that it is not applicable to this realm we are living in below. As Old Testament scholar William Brown notes, scripture's wisdom literature focuses on the religious and moral dimensions of the day-to-day existence in which ordinary experiences take on an almost incarnational character. Broadly speaking, the wisdom books of Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes treat wisdom as the art of navigating the complexities of life and discerning God's ways in the immediacy of life. And unlike the highly convenient truths peddled in many of the bestseller lists, scripture doesn't sugarcoat anything, doesn't pretend that life is easy or comfortable, doesn't ignore the struggle and hardship that comes with being alive. And most importantly, it doesn't flinch at the mention of death. The source of its wisdom comes from above, but it is meant to be heard and accepted here below. So if you are one of those people who came today in search for the meaning of life, well, then let me just cut to the chase. The meaning of life is to live a life of meaning. Which means the real question then for us today is where do we derive our meaning? Helping us answer this challenging question is the even more challenging book from the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes. Today's passage comes from Ecclesiastes 1 and 3, and I will be reading it in three separate parts. Here, now, part one. Everything is vanity. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to the place where it rises The wind blows to the south and goes round to the north, round and round goes the wind, and on its circuit the wind returns. All things are wearisome, more than one can express. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. All right, according to Ecclesiastes, in order to lay down the foundation of sacred wisdom, one must first completely disprove the legitimacy of earthly wisdom. It makes sense, right? You can't build a new house right on top of an old one. Which leads to step one on our quest to finding the meaning of life. Burn it all down. Vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. Futility of futilities, everything is futility. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. 38 times in Ecclesiastes, Kohelet, also known as the preacher or the teacher, uses this Hebrew word hevel. That's no perfect English counterpart, literally translated as vapor or breath. Hevel communicates something superficial, unsubstantial, transient, a puff of air. In other words, everything fades and nothing lasts. For all our hard work, there is no lasting reward. For all our most sound investments, there is no perpetual return. For all of our human efforts and striving and hustling, all we really get in the end is hevel. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For the fate of humans and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so does the other. They all have the same breath and humans have no advantage over the animals for all is vanity. All is hevel. Chapter eight, there are righteous people who are treated according to the conduct of the wicked and there are wicked people who are treated according to the conduct of the righteous. This is also vanity. This is also hevel. Finally, in chapter 12, Kohelet closes his lengthy, finger-wagging, wildly judgy sermon exactly how he started it. Vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. Everything is hevel. The teacher is nothing if not consistent, right? And yet, even though he comes to this depressing conclusion over and over and over again, he does so in order to fully open us up to the possibility of joy in the midst of it all, tearing down in order to build back up. But in order to get there, first he must lay bare all the lies and half-truths Humanity has been sold, and humanity has bought since Eden. And first on the chopping block is the single container that holds the entirety of our mortal existence, time. Part two, a sense of time. I have seen the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with. God has made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, God has put a sense of past and future into their minds, yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in all their toil. I know that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done this so that all should stand in awe before God. That which is already has been, that which is to be, already is, and God seeks out what has gone by. Friends, what does time mean to you? How do you regard it or treat it? Are the days short and the years long, or the years short and the day long? How do you hold the time that has already passed differently than the time that is yet to come? What does time mean to you? If you are human, and I am assuming that most of you are, it is safe to assume that you have a complicated relationship with time. Chances are there have been seasons in your life where it felt like time stood still and other seasons when it just flew by Seasons where you have been fixated on building for your future and other seasons spent doing everything you can to erase your past. As Ecclesiastes points out, God has given us a sense of time, but not the totality of it. We have the power to fill our time, but not the power to control it. In many ways, it feels like time is the one thing that everyone has but no one can hold on to. Try as we might, and we try really, really hard to bend time to our will. The teacher reminds us that even time is hevel, a vapor, a wisp, a breath of air. Now understandably so, Kohelet has a reputation for being scripture's Debbie Downer. His prose bears no similarity to the popular gurus of today that all but offer a money-back guarantee for the life you've always wanted. Cheap wisdom based on the shallow notion that you can have your cake and eat it too. Meanwhile, Ecclesiastes makes no such promises. Instead, the teacher is hell-bent on reminding his listener that nothing worth anything actually belongs to us, comes from us, or is governed by us. We are finite. We are created. We are hevel. There is nothing we can do to fight or change that particular reality, which means that true wisdom, sacred wisdom, is found by accepting that simple fact and then surrendering to God what was always God's in the first place, time, our toil our relationships, creation, even wisdom itself. And according to Kohelet, not only is God, God God, is good. So good that our creator blessed us with a wide enough scope of time that we can see ourselves as a part of God's holy plan unfolding in and through history but narrow enough that we don't have to bear the burden of knowing all, seeing all, carrying it all. As philosopher and author James K.A. Smith notes in his upcoming book, How to Inhabit Time, our finitude is not something to resent or lament. Our inability to see the whole is not a reason to despair. Our being subject to the conditions of temporality is not a prison, but a focus, gifted with boundaries we are given room to be happy, to find joy, to enjoy time, and even our toil. Friends, in light of all of that, I would say the wisest option before us is quite clear. In the face of all that is unknown and uncontrollable, what else can we do but to live the life we have now? The time we have been given right now. After all, there is no book or philosophy or belief system that teaches us how to avoid the passage of time. We cannot dictate when tragedy will strike or when blessings will appear. We cannot optimize out of life's messiness or maximize out of life's hardship. Time is not ours to manage. It is ours to live, which means all we can do is honor and embrace the time that God has set before us By living in our present moment, and when possible, doing it with joy. When you work, work with joy. When you play, play with joy. When you eat and drink, do it with joy. When you sing, sing with joy. When you sleep or watch TV or go to church, do it with joy. Even when you strive for justice or fight for peace, Ecclesiastes tells us to do it with joy because when the world seems like it's falling apart, when there never seems to be enough time, when the burdens on us keep piling up, we are called to embrace our present circumstance with joy because we are not ultimately responsible for putting the world back together. We are not expected to maximize every moment of our lives. We are not meant to carry our burdens alone. In a world drowning in heaven. the good news is that we belong to an everlasting God, a compassionate God, a merciful God, a God that has given us everything we need to live our lives today. So one of the most sacred aspects of being a pastor is getting to be a part of memorials and funerals. Individuals I know well, and some that I've never even met. Now, I used to be afraid that this part of my job would make me more afraid of death than I already am. But it's done the opposite. Instead, it makes me clearer about my life, the beauty of the life that has been given to me, the reality of pain and sorrow that exists all around us, and the hope of every day that is to come, however many those may be. And memorials are so beautiful because in them, we are clear to tell stories and remember and recall the parts of lives that have been lived, not the time spent fixated on the past or the time spent preparing for the future, but stories about how grandfathers sat with their kids and made them feel like the most important person in the world or a middle schooler who loved to act and sing and play. Those are the stories we tell. We, still t- we tell stories about life, about time well spent. Now, I know this pandemic season, we are emerging from a very messed up period of time. We barely know what day of the week it is or how much time has passed. From early on, there was so much grief about losing the lives we once had, anxiety about whether or not things would return back to normal, heightened fear about the numbering of our days or our loved ones' days. So we started using phrases like the great pause or the lost years, and we started saying them in daily conversation. Now, some complained that during the season, time stood still. Others lamented it went by too fast. I will totally admit that I was guilty of doing both, sometimes in the same conversation. But looking back now, it is obvious that so much of our struggling with this season was struggling with our understanding of time. To be fair, there are no amount of books that could have prepared us for the realities that were thrust upon us over two years ago. But all the while, the words of Kohelet were there, lingering in the background, calling to us, reminding us that the time we have here on this earth may not be easy or perfect, or as much as we wanted or expected, but that doesn't mean it isn't good. So I wanna close my sermon with the final part of our reading for today. May it offer us lasting wisdom for this short time we have together this morning. Beloved, for everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what has been planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. In light of all that, my friends, go, eat your bread with enjoyment, drink your wine with a merry heart, For God has long ago approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Do not not let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with those whom you love. All the days of your hevel life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion. And in your toil at which you toil under the sun.